Hello and welcome to the Culture Swalia podcast dedicated to Scottish news and pop culture. My name is Nicky and I'm joined as always by the man who used to be anybody's for a can of cider and a thumb up his arse. It's Greg. How are you today, Greg? Yeah, not bad. Yeah. That was a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. Do you still drink cider? Yeah. <laughs> I do occasionally. I was actually thinking about that recently. Do you remember, um, when I say recently, I mean the last couple of days, do you remember when we were going away for our mutual friend Stag do and we stayed, at, I think we both stayed at his the night before. We were going to the airport. Yes. And they, unusually for him, he was going to the offy and he offered to, he asked everybody what they wanted and he was just going to pay for it. I, th- I think it was because his, uh, his wife-to-be was there and... You know, they were I think I think under normal circumstances he'd have his hand out for money, but um I said, Oh, get me a few cans of Strongbow because I felt like having a cider. And he came and mm. he came back with a fucking plastic litre and a half bottle of cider. <laughs> <laughs> because because it's like swing park prices, like the plastic bottles of Strongbow. You know what I mean? It's like it's yeah. the sort of cider you can buy with your pocket money when you're thirteen. Yeah. That's why I bought it, the fucking tight bastard. But yeah. I... Yeah, that's no surprise to me. Yeah. You came back with that. Yeah. I know. Did you just did you chug it out the bottle or did you use a glass? I, I used a glass uh, on sort of principle, but I, I, I never drank it all because it tastes weird, like sort of plastic bottle cider. And the thing was as well, it wasn't cold. So he'd obviously just gone to the fucking news agents and bought it. Like it was so, <laughs> it, it was it, it was an ambient temperature. I, I, I think I just drank a few of his uh, cans of beer just out of fucking spite, I think. <laughs> Just, just to make a point, he's 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 probably still got that plastic bottle aside. It's probably still it's it's probably sitting in his kitchen. How many years ago? How many years ago was that? It's like two thousand and six, I think. So seventeen years uh, yeah. ago. <laughs> yeah, it must have been two thousand and six. Yeah, I think yeah, so. I think it was. Wow. Because his his brother in law was there as well. Remember, oh, his brother in law to be. He's he yes. stayed as well. He was a eccentric character from the borders. <laughs> certainly was. Certainly yeah. was. Yes. Um, anyway, um, how's everything with you? All good? Yeah, fine. I've just uh, just come back from a trip to Mexico. Well, Mexico City. I was there for work. I don't. I, I don't recommend it. <laughs> There's the, there's nicer parts of Mexico to go than Mexico City, but it was uh, it was interesting. It's another place ticked off the the sort of list of places I've been. Not like a list of places that I've always wanted to go. Just a list of places I can say I've been to. You know. Very good. Oh well, I'm glad you um you can tick it off your list. Yeah. <laughs> say if you enjoyed it or not. But yeah, glad you ticked it off your list. Oh, it's good to have you back and good to see you again. Because yeah. obviously it's been a while since we recorded. It but, um, but we're actually recording the next three weeks in a row because. Then I've got something coming up, so I need a break for it. But uh, don't worry, dear listener, we will maintain our current schedule yeah. as all. Okay, then. Well, well, this is just before we we, we uh, crack on with the news. This is our Halloween episode. Oh, God, yeah, of course. I forgot to say in the intro, it's the annual Swally Spooktacular. Yeah. Yes. Oh, damn. I totally <laughs> forgot all about that, Greg. You know, despite the fact that I've been thinking all week that it's the Swally Spooktacular. <laughs> so you're right. Yeah. I mean, this will be going out. Two days after Halloween, yeah. Um, just because that's the way our our schedule works. But yes, it is indeed. They're uh, our Swally spectacular. Are you up to anything exciting for Halloween? Uh, no, nothing at all. Um, I think my daughters have got some plans, but I'm not so sure. What's your uh, what's your what's your favourite uh, scary movie? You know, it depends what you you classify as, as scary movie. I mean, Psycho is 
one of my favorite films yeah. of all time but i wouldn't necessarily say it was like horror uh, it's funny i was listening to a podcast just yesterday where they were going on about Halloween versus Friday the 13th. Right. And I thought they were very right. And they kind of introduced a little bit of Nightmare on Elm Street into that as well. And I think that they were right what they said. Halloween is the superior film, without a doubt. Yeah. But then if you look at the overall series, I think Friday the 13th is is better. Mm-hmm. And I would kind of agree with that because I love the, the Friday the 13th films. I can chuck on pretty much any one yeah. and watch. But I would say Halloween is by far the superior film. And I'd even say Nightmare on Elm Street is better, in my opinion, than the original Friday the 13th. But yeah, I think... Halloween, probably. Yeah, it's, it's the classic. It's a boring answer, but it is the classic. Yeah, I think I would, I would go with that. What about yourself? Halloween is is on there. I'm. I don't know. I was trying to think of films that um, because like when I watch a film now, like I don't find films very scary. That I, I was watching the yeah. the first Conjuring with my daughter, and we had to turn it off. Like we've, we've still not finished it. We've because <laughs> she just can't handle it. Uh, I think we've watched maybe in total over like two sittings. We've watched about forty five minutes of it. She can't. She can't handle it. It's too scary for her. And I th- and I like it. I do like the Conjuring. And I think if I'd watched it when I was sort of her age, it would have scared the absolute shit out of me. You know what I mean? Mm. But I would have enjoyed it anyway, because I've always enjoyed a scare. So I think sort of for modern films in terms of sort of scares and unsettling, I think The Conjuring is there. I think it's one of my favourite modern scary film, but I think all-time favourite scary movie is probably the... The first Halloween, same as you. Yeah. yeah, it's just so good. I mean, I could, I could watch it. I could, I could watch it now, right now, and then I could stick it on again tomorrow and watch it. You know what I mean? It's brilliant. Yeah, I, I would. Have- Agree in terms of I think in terms of like modern horror, I'm with you. There's not a lot that scares me or, or freaks me out. I did watch the Terrifier films recently, and they're just fucking bonkers. But I think the scariest kind of thing recent years would be It Follows. I enjoyed. Oh that yeah, that was good, immensely. wasn't it? Yeah, that was really good. Yeah, yeah, that was really good because it was a very different kind of premise. But yeah, I think Halloween takes a lot to beat. I think the only film I've ever really seen that I would say kind of freaked me out a little bit was the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't so much scary it was just more of a Jesus Christ what if I just watched yeah because I must have been like 16 or something at the time I, yeah so, I was about yeah, was six, I think I was about 17 when I saw that for the first time it's somebody gave me a loan because it was banned wasn't it it was banned for years and years and years yeah. and then somebody had a, a copy from overseas that they gave me a loan of and I remember um, the, the the bit that I could not believe Bear in mind that it's an old film. Is when um, the disabled brother gets like chainsawed to death in his wheelchair. I just, <laughs> yeah. just that wouldn't happen in a film now. I don't think. I really, don't, I don't <laughs> think that would happen. I really don't. Um, I, I don't think they'd want to show something like that. I mean, and you don't really see it. You no. don't really. It's not particularly graphic because it's dark. He's in the woods, but there's no. But yeah. you're in no doubt as to what's happening to him. It's yeah. grim. That's <laughs> fucking change days. Yeah. Change days. Okay then. Well, yes, this is indeed our Swally spectacular. So before we get on to the scary film that we're <laughs> going to be talking about on the podcast today, shall we have a look at what's been happening in Scotland over the last couple of weeks, Greg? Cue the jingle. <laughs> This is the Outer Hebrides Broadcasting Corporation, and here is what's been going on 
in the news. Okay, Greg, so what have you seen in the news over the last couple of weeks that has caught your eye? About just before I start my first story, when I was kind of looking over the news websites looking for stories for the podcast today, there was an article, and the headline was Man Headbutted Outside Pub in Glasgow City Centre After an Argument. And I was thinking, like, 10, 15 years ago, that wouldn't have been in the paper. <laughs> <laughs> Loads of people probably get headbutted outside nightclubs after arguments in Glasgow in a busy night. Yeah, you know, I'm quite surprised it's even made the papers now. Yeah. It's um, must be a slow news day. It must um, indeed, it must be. Well, my first story uh, is it's a I suppose it is a story. Um, <laughs> Good, uh, I'm glad. <laughs> uh, Big Brother has just uh, relaunched or be, had a reboot, whatever you want to call it, um, in the UK. Uh, so I found an article just sort of catching us up with um, the famous Scottish contestants um, that have hmm. featured in Big Brother over the years. Uh, it's, a, it's not a comprehensive list. I can think of at least one person who is missing from here, but I can't remember his name. So the first one, uh, if you remember, uh, do you remember Cameron Stout from Orkney? Yeah, of course. Fir- one Big Brother 4. Yeah, he did indeed. The only, uh, t- to date, the only Scot to have won the show. Um, uh, and he didn't He didn't just win the show, Nicky. He also won the hearts of the nation with his cookie Orkney accent, his Christian beliefs, and his clean-cut image. <laughs> Can believe that there's a picture of him and it is so early 2000s got a pregnant Davina who seemed to be pregnant for about what about five or six years Davina McCall yeah <laughs> she did, she did. Um, and um and a very very early 2000s wardrobe for Cameron he's got some baggy cargo trousers on and uh, a white t-shirt underneath a sort of beige uh, short-sleeved shirt. When he was in the show, he swapped places, if you remember, with the big brother mm. Africa housemate, uh, watch me absolutely mangle this poor guy's name, Gaetano Kagwa, uh, during his stint. Um, and he got 1.9 million votes, more than half a million more than his nearest rival. Um, so tw- mm. 20 years on, the former fish trader turned primary school teacher and Radio Orkney presenter still gets recognised across the world. He said, we were all warned that our lives would change, but I never really gave it too much thought. I certainly didn't think about being recognised 20 years on. I can't go on holiday to Canada without someone saying, aren't you that guy from Orkney who was in Big Brother? Oh, wow. Every, every time I must, every time I, it still looks, it still looks much the same. Uh, every time I get a new class to teach, I think, they'll not know, then some girl will say, my mum says, and it's about Big Brother. It's very sweet. Any favourite Cameron uh, moments? Um, no, I mean, I, I remember watching that series, and yeah, Cameron was fun. He was nice. I mean, I, I supported him because he was Scottish. Mm-hmm. There was two Scottish people in that house, mm-hmm. actually, that year. The other guy who you might come to, uh, Frederico, he was a bit of a dickhead. Yeah. But Cameron was always just very nice and seemed, yeah, he was lovely and sweet. I mean, they totally changed Big Brother after that year, though, because it was the most boring year, because <laughs> everyone was so nice and kind of got on. Yeah. Um, so they did change it maybe a little bit too much in the next series, because the next series was Fight Night. Yeah. Where all kicked off and people were throwing trays at each other and stuff so um but yeah cameron was always very nice i liked him. yeah I, I remember i remember cameron um yeah so yeah, as you say uh the next one that bring me on nicely too is federico martoni um from glasgow he survived until day 29 of series four in 2003 uh which surprised many after he angered people <laughs> 
after he angered the people of Newcastle when he claimed that 9 out of 10 Geordie women were slags. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. Federico, 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 what are you like? Um, I think I probably still rooted for him a bit because he, because he was um, because he was Scottish. You, you kind of have to, right? Mm, yeah, yeah, you do. So the next one on our list then is uh, Mikey Hughes. Remember Mikey? He was he was blind. I I do. I'd stop watching it by this point. Mm. But yeah, I do. I remember being aware of him. Yeah, I stopped watching it as well. He was twenty three when he went on the show. Uh, he's from Kilwinning in Ayrshire. He is. What's he doing now? So he is on the radio. He's got. He's a DJ on uh, Radio Insight, uh, which I guess is a radio station uh, for the partially sighted and for the blind. He's got a PhD in economic and social history, and he ran. He ran uh, as an MP in a Glasgow by-election in two thousand nine, but he didn't win. Next one, then. Do you, do you remember Shell Shell Jubin from Glasgow? That art. Yes, student? I do. Yeah. Yeah, she um yeah, she famously she got her degree results and then mowed the lawn nude. That's right. There's a picture of her mowing the lawn nude here right here. <laughs> um yeah. This uh that well as you as you adhered as you mentioned a minute ago, um it was one of the programme's most controversial and memorable years. Now, this is what I was gonna ask you about. I'm sure there was another Scottish guy that was on that year, a sort of bodybuilder guy. Yeah. Yeah. He's not on this yeah, list. Jason Cowan, I remember his name. Yeah. yeah. He was alright actually, he got to the final. I think, but yeah, I feel like he got into a bit. Of tr- he was he got into a bit of trouble later on. He did, he, for yeah. something. Yeah, he did. Yeah. Well, uh, Shell, she was uh, sadly she was dating uh, Scott Hutchinson um, from the band Frightened Rabbit um, before uh, before he passed away in 2018. But she uh, she lives in the in the US now, where she works as a museum oh. curator. Um, obviously, she was uh, unavailable for comment because she's not said anything. And then next one is an Aberdonian. Do you remember Lynn? from Aberdeen I do I remember her coming into Revolution um, like a couple of weeks after she'd been like kicked out or something or or like six months after and you know looking around to see if anyone recognised her I think it was only me that really recognised her (laughs) but yeah yeah I do remember Lynn she really like booted out in the first she was was the first one she lost to the late uh, Jade Goody she was she was uh, kicked out in the first public vote poor old Lynn Mm. Uh, she was a mature art history student Uh, after after she finished in Big Brother and presumably well presumably after she visited Revolution that night when you were working. Uh, she moved to London to start a new life, and she was last known to be working in an art gallery. So there you go. Next, then, do you remember Sam Brody uh, from Air? Yes, I do. Yeah, yeah, I do remember Sam. So uh, Sam was a she at, at that point, but then went back to being a he. He did indeed. He's now married with two kids, and he's a, he's he's had a successful career as a TV presenter in Malaysia. He's got. And has hmm. two hundred thousand followers on uh, on Instagram. So, any other that's any other Scottish contestants that we've missed there over the years? I think there's been a couple over the years. I can't. I'm struggling to remember now. There's there's one in the current series because I have shamefully been watching the current <laughs> series. Um, so there is a a girl from Glasgow, Olivia, yeah. in it. Um, and it's it's odd. She was actually quite annoying. The first couple of nights, and I think a lot of people hated her because she was loud. Every second word out of her mouth is fuck. Right. But she's actually really grown on people, like and the public, right. and she's really she's like one of the favourites to win. I oh, really? Think. But yeah, I can't think. There probably have been a couple of other contestants over the years, but um, well, of course, famously uh, James Cosmo was in Celebrity Big Brother, of course, uh, at one point. Yeah, yeah, yeah the course. most famous. He gets everywhere Cosmo, doesn't he? <laughs> Even he does. Yeah. <laughs> 
absolutely <laughs> everywhere. I'm surprised he hasn't been on I'm a Celebrity yeah. to get me out of here, but I think he's probably too old for that nowadays. Yeah. But um, you never know. Yeah. Um, or Dancing on Ice or something. I think his Big Brother experience probably put him yeah. off reality TV because he just sat there fucking miserable the whole time. <laughs> no, like, the, the omnipresent James Cosmo. I think there's a clip of him going, just going mental because he was in the house with Jedward and you can imagine they would get on anyone's tits. Yeah. I'm sure there's a clip somewhere of him just fucking going mental at them <laughs> over a bar of chocolate or something. <laughs> and they're just sitting there like, going, we didn't take your chocolate. I don't know. Where's your chocolate? And, and Cosmo's just stomping around. Fuck it, I don't cut it. Big Brother's responsible for one of the most uncomfortable experiences I've ever had with my mother. I was what was once I would I went through to the village my mum lives in one night for dinner and stuff. I had a night off work, so I thought I'll go through. My stepdad was away, so I'll go through, keep her company, have dinner with her. And her and I ended up watching that that evening's episode of Big Brother. And it was the episode uh, where one of the ladies oh, masturbated with a wine bottle uh, in the garden. <laughs> yeah, Kinga. Uh, yeah, and King of- and <laughs> I knew you were going to yeah. say that. But. What I was hoping for was for just a a short sort of uncomfortable silence to pass, and then the moment would be forgotten, and we'd move on to something else. But then my mum started to explain the dangers of master for a, of a lady masturbating with a wine bottle. She reckoned the suction could dislodge her internal reproductive reproductive organs you know if like if all the sort of elements were aligned for that to happen and i just couldn't i just i just ruined the night if i'm quite quite honest the the other contestant i've just remembered uh was in big brother three was sandy and he was a a doer kind of scots guy with glasses and a beard and he just he fucking wasn't enjoying the house and hated everyone. Everyone was getting on his tits. So one morning, I think he got up at like six o'clock, he pissed in the kitchen bin (laughs) as like his leaving present and then climbed over the wall and left. (laughs) (laughs) And they were all cheering like, oh, go Sandy. And as he left and he waved goodbye and then they come back in, they're like, what's this puddle in the kitchen? (laughs) Sandy's leaving present. I mean, there are, I suppose there's worse places he could have pissed than the kitchen bin, I suppose. But it was... That's true. It, it was in the TV, so oh, anyway. that's uh, So that's the Scottish Big Brother contingent. Yeah, then. that's... Well, some of them at least. Anyway, what's your first story this episode? Well, it's the Swally Spooktacular this week, Greg. So this is from the Daily... No, this is from Aberdeen Live, sorry, uh, last week. You know, when I saw this headline, I was like, yeah, I'm going to have a little bit of that, I think. <laughs> Money-saving Aberdeen witch cast bizarre spell on pal's ex by setting doll with pins in the crotch on fire. So uh, this is a witch from Aberdeen um, who cast a money-saving spell claiming it helped her save up to £5,000 in six weeks to move house. Uh, And she shares tips online on how to be a witch and how to budget on social media. She says that she's even conducted a spell on her friend's ex-boyfriend to stop him from getting erections with his new partner. That's just a bit unfair, really. Uh, Alexa Thompson, a 33-year-old baking company owner who lives in Aberdeen, has been practising witchcraft her entire life after growing up in a pagan household, despite being bullied for it in her younger years. She has recently dabbled in protection spells to seek revenge on her friend's ex-boyfriend, who allegedly was not showing up to see his children and was instead seeing his new partner. 
she commanded that until he becomes a better dad, he won't be able to get it up. <laughs> uh, and made a small doll out of grass with pins through its crotch, head and heart. While doing the spell, she set the figure on fire and put the blackened doll on his doorstep. And since then, she claims that her friend's ex-boyfriend has improved his behaviour. <laughs> uh, Alexa also specialises in frugal spells. Earlier this year, she wanted to move nearer to her sister and nephew, so she conducted a money-saving spell. Six weeks later, she said she had £5,000 in savings and an apartment lined up. She hasn't shared how she did this, though, because I'd quite like to find out how she managed to do this. So she's been posting spells on Witch Talk, which is... Um, when witches post about spells, potions, and their day-to-day life on TikTok. She thinks that people are less judgmental about her identifying as a witch, particularly when dating, which she says proves that witches have come a long way since being burnt at the stake. (laughs) Uh, Alexa said, So a friend of mine was getting a really hard time from her ex, who's the father of our kids. She came to see me really upset, saying he keeps not showing up with the kids in favour of going to see his new girlfriend. I said, leave it with me. So I made a wee doll and put pins through the crotch, head and heart. And I did a spell saying that until he becomes a better dad, he won't be able to get it up. (laughs) While doing this spell, I set fire to the doll with a candle flame so it was all blackened and I put it on his doorstep in the evening. I wouldn't say it was a curse. I'd say it was a protection spell towards my friend. It didn't cost me anything either. That's, that's where the frugalness comes <laughs> in, I guess. Um, the doll was made from grass from my garden. And after that, he started being a lot better towards my friend and the children. Uh, so Alexa has been practicing witchcraft her entire life. She explains that her granddad taught her to do witchcraft and that her parents and little cousins also practice and they see ghosts. <laughs> she says she remembers being bullied quite a bit for a, a kid, which is ironic because the kids that bullied her in high school are now the ones that come to ask her for tarot card readings. <laughs> so yeah, um, she said she saved up this money. Uh, she was foraging herbs and she grows things herself. Uh, and that's how she managed to save all the money. Um, and she put pennies in a terracotta jar, sprinkled them with prosperity herbs and lit a candle asking for what I want. In a pinch, I recommend things like Italian mixed herbs <laughs> because they have all the essential herbs needed for a spell like this. <laughs> so if you can't grow your own magic herbs... Right. Just nip to Morrison's, get a pot of Italian mixed herbs, and that'll do just the job. Uh, So she said that the spell managed to um, kick her up the butt and save the money. She said, but you have to work for it. You can't ask for more money and expect to win the lottery without buying a ticket or for love and not swipe right on Tinder. So uh, Alexa has been posting about her spells on her social media since 2018, amassing 56,000 followers. She said, I created it to get all of the thoughts and spells out of my head. And I've always got a lot of comments and questions about my prosperity spell since the cost of living crisis. So that is Alexa, the witch who put a, a voodoo doll of her friend's ex to stop him getting it up. You know, that's... Does she... I thought it was a bit of a... Does she live alone? Halloween. <laughs> Do we think? Does she got a, does she got a doesn't, significant doesn't other? Say, um, it doesn't say, actually, if she has. Um, she does say that she's people are more open to dating witches. Right. Cause, yeah, because they've come a long way since being burned. <laughs> so, so I don't know. Um, but there's a, there's a photo of her, and then there's a photo of um, the doll right. that she'd, she'd burnt, made out of grass. Um, and then there's a photo of, like, two cow skulls. Um, right. And a couple of blocks of chocolate um, on a plate and some candles with some burnt things. And some teeth, by the looks of things. So it's all very spooky. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't really know what to say. I. I mean, I don't. 
like she's made this doll to sort of get back at her friend's ex-boyfriend and mm. my first thought is whether you're a witch or not none of your fucking business <laughs> why <laughs> why are you getting involved why are you sticking your nose in why are you making dolls out of grass and setting them on fire and putting them on his doorstep? You know what I mean? And why is the, you know, there's pins in the crotch, in the heart, in the head. You know, why is that the. I thought that. I'd be interested to know why those three areas. Under, obviously, the crotch, because, yeah. you know, she did the spell so you wouldn't be able to get it up. But I don't know. Is it because the heart and the head, you know, thinking about. You need all these. Think about your kids. Or maybe because you need your heart and your head uh, to all be it to be like aligned in order to uh, achieve get an erection ach- achieve arousal <laughs> you know what I mean if you're you know especially if you're a bit older you know if you if your mind starts to wander you know what I mean it's not as uh, you know it's not the same as when you're a young guy and it just literally all you got to do is snap your fingers and you're ready to go mm. you know yeah just like at it like Thanos <laughs> younger, yeah. yeah exactly exactly um yeah, like, I mean, I'm sort of, I, you know, I've said in the Swally before, I'm very much, if that's, you know, if that's what you believe and that's how you want to live your life, it's not for me to cast scorn upon you, although I might a little bit, you know, but still, <laughs> yeah, nothing, against, nothing against how people live their lives. I just, I just find it a bit weird. I, I, I find, like, in 2023, I, I understand people being religious because it's a, it's a, most religions are huge things involving lots of people. These sort of more niche things like witchcraft, with all you know, so much about science and stuff these days, and you know, people still believe that making a wee doll out of grass and sticking pins in its bollocks, setting it on fire, is going to like have an impact on a human being. You know, when you when you hear it when you hear it explained like that, it sounds a bit like bollocks, doesn't it? I'm not venturing <laughs> down into that territory, Greg, because before we know it, I'm gonna open my door and there'll be a little doll yeah. made out of grass. <laughs> I mean I live in Amsterdam, I'd hope it was a different type of grass, maybe. All blackened and with pins in various places. Yeah. So I'm I'm pleading the fifth on that one right. and not getting involved. Fair enough. I think Alexa can do whatever she likes and good luck to yeah. her. All right. Well good luck to Alexa. And all her witchy endeavours. Okay, Greg. Uh, what else have you seen this week? Uh, so my next one then uh, is from the Scottish Sun on the 24th of October. The headline reads, My dad's dog chewed up my passport just days before I was due to fly to the Rugby World Cup final. Um, so this is Ellis McLeod. Her and her dad forked out nearly £2,000 to head to Paris on Saturday to see South Africa uh, take on New Zealand in the Rugby World Cup final. But after hearing her, uh, the pet dog Ashley tearing away at what she thought was a toy, she was horrified to find it was in fact the wee dog ripping apart her travel documents, uh, otherwise mm. otherwise known as a passport. It's just a written passport there. Um, Ellis is, is from Dundee. Uh, she called the passport office but she was told a new document would probably not arrive in time for her to fly to the French capital. Images show the HR advisor's passport with two large bite marks from the one-year-old pup and torn pages. Gutted, Ellis said, I had my passport out. It was high on my dresser so I would remember to pack it 
when I heard Ashley tearing something up. I'd figured it was just a toy as I thought there wasn't anything important lying around. I laughed at first until it dawned on me that I was going to Paris in a week. Uh, Ellis uh, had to watch the final at home uh, with a wee dog um, and her own dog, whose name is Louis, but she said the trip cost £1,800. Rugby's the only sport I follow religiously. I'm now hoping to go to Australia for the World Cup in 2027 as long as my passport remains intact. I mean, there's a, there's a picture of wee uh, Ashley here. Looks like a like a lovely wee dog. Hard to be annoyed at a wee dog like that. Hard to be annoyed at a dog's dog's. A dog's going to do what a dog's going to do. If you leave, you know, yeah, leave your passport lying out, you, you know, you, you sort of, you know, you're taking your life in your hands. Bobby ever destroyed anything important? You're... Bobby's never destroyed anything no. at all. Um, like uh, amazingly, the so lucky with that dog, you know, because we got him when he was one yeah. and he was a rescue. And you obviously hear all these stories. He never, even his toys, like he loves his cuddly toys. He's so gentle with them yeah. and like playing with them. The hardly ever any, you know, occasionally there might be a tiny little rip, which I'll sew mm-hmm. or something, but um, not, never destroyed anything. Like, and he'll never even, you take something new into the house, he'll sniff it, but he won't grab it. Like, even yeah. a toy for him, I have to physically hand it to him yeah. and let him know it's his, and then he'll go and play with it, but he'll never right. touch anything at all. Oh, it's amazing. What a good boy. Got so lucky. Yeah, so lucky yeah. with him. So no, but I can understand. I mean, if you've got like a puppy, then of course they are tempted to chew things yeah, so yeah. like a passport is probably quite hard and chewy so it's it's going to be fair game they're going to be delighted with it yeah, so i mean i'm looking at um, i'm looking at the picture of our passport i mean i don't know i mean it's i think as, as long as the the wee uh, electronic strip isn't damaged i feel like you might get away with it you know no yeah. even if there's a tiny little rip on really? one page of your passport yeah, yeah you won't be allowed to travel yeah oh my god you have to be really really careful with it mm. well you gotta go yeah. be careful we i mean we i've not had a dog for a long time but I, growing up we always had dogs i remember my um my stepdad's old uh black labrador who he called monty he um <laughs> He was a right rogue. Uh, there was like a blind guy who used to walk uh, around their neighbourhood with his um, guide dog and be forever finding Monty trying to mount <laughs> this poor guy's <laughs> poor guy's blind. Uh, this poor guy's a. Uh, uh, guide dog but i remember when we were getting our, our, our double glazing get uh, put in my mum made um sort of sandwiches and food for all the guys and it was a summer so they were in the garden having sandwiches and things and uh this, <laughs> this young, the apprentice was standing eating a sandwich and monty just jumped up like fucking jaws and took the sandwich right out of his hand <laughs> 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 my mother was mortified but still you know Dog's gonna, dog's gonna do what a dog's gonna do. Exactly. Yeah. Can't blame the dog. So. And as you say, you can't be too upset with it for um, for doing what it's gonna do. It's a shame you're out of pocket, and it's a shame you didn't get to go to the World Cup yeah. final. But never mind. You'll um, next time maybe get like a little travel wallet. Yeah. And put the passport in. Just that. leave it lying about there. And anyway. Yeah. You and I, you and I know that rugby's rubbish anyway. You played as your wee favourite. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I'm going to plead the fifth on that, Greg. Not say anything. I don't want to upset any listeners, so it's not it's not for me. But um, no. Anyway, that's uh, 
Ashley the Dog, the passport muncher. What's your next story this week? Uh, my next story comes from the Daily Record this week, Greg, and it's about a fuming Scots resident who leaves passive-aggressive note for a mystery musician. So a fed-up resident has plastered a street with a passive-aggressive note hitting out at a serenading musician. The letter was posted on all doors along Lawrence Street in Edinburgh this week and is addressed to the trumpeter who moved into a flat here in July <laughs> and has been playing disturbing, dissonant music Every lunchtime since. <laughs> In the sarcastic letter, the fuming neighbour writes, You are very talented, yes, but please be aware that your daily practice can be heard by every person in the courtyard of our buildings. 100 plus people, some of which work at home and would like not to be forced to listen to your chromatic scales <laughs> reverbing off the walls and into the brains every time they are having lunch. Uh, the note continues, Please also consider chronically ill people who are in their beds already in enough pain. Babies, night shift workers <laughs> trying to sleep, leithers, already demented from the sound of the never-ending tram works. Uh, the posts gather plenty of attention online, with residents arguing both sides concerning the issue of the mystery trumpeter. Some have commented that it would be unreasonable and pretty excessive to expect the person to soundproof a room, and also insanely expensive. One poster wrote, If you don't like other people's noise, go live in a fucking bungalow for a start. No a stare. <laughs> <laughs> Playing an instrument's a wonderful talent. Uh, others commented that they were lucky it was lunchtime and the mystery trumpeter played the instrument better than the middle of the night. Mm. Uh, a few people joked, I am the trumpeter. <laughs> um, <laughs> so that is the, the poor... The guy's obviously just doing a you know, trumpet, doing his, playing his talent and, and trying to practice, but obviously someone's had enough. I know... During lockdown, I was obviously working from home all the time and there was someone in our building, I don't know where or who it was, that was obviously learning the piano. And it was the same, every lunchtime around about two o'clock, you would hear them practising Hello by Lionel Richie. <laughs> and this went on for months, always the same song. And he got better um, as the, the months went on. You know, he started, it was just the piano and then I could hear him singing along and then towards the end he was doing the whole song okay. but he never did anything else yeah, really. just hello and then and then he just stopped so i don't know if he was like right i've mastered that yeah fuck this i'll pack it in now <laughs> so <clears throat> but that's the only um the only time i'm bothered by anyone with like music but of course your daughter plays the bass does, so uh, does that how noisy is that or does she use headphones no, no, or she, is she it can be quite noisy um but I, I, it doesn't bother me because she's learning to play the bass, <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's yeah. just like it's it's a, it's a great thing to be able to play a musical instrument. I mean, I was more tickled by the beginning of the article where you said the trumpeter was playing sort of dissonant music. I had I had a sort of vision in my mind of him playing like sort of melancholy <laughs> and sort of melancholy songs, or you know, or maybe he's doing like the last post. Last thing at night or something like that, you know, just that, just just to sort of kind of amuse and affect people. But it sounds like he's just the guy. I mean, the, the guy's probably in the fucking Scottish Na National Orchestra or something like that. That's why he got to practice. <laughs> <laughs> and I think if any time you're going to do it, lunchtime's you know fair yeah. enough. People are you know okay, they might be in meetings or something, and I can see okay night shift workers. But then you know what, what are you supposed to do? Not make noise at any time. He's entitled to do it. So fair play to him. You know, say the guy's practicing a talent. I don't think. I mean, like when we were kids, there would have been a lot more night shift workers because there would have been sort of yeah. twenty four hour 
plants, 24-hour factories and things. These days, probably the only sort of 24-hour workers will be like NHS people and uh, taxi drivers, right? Probably drug dealers and prostitutes as well. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, I suppose that they, they need their sleep as well, right? Maybe, maybe even more so. <laughs> 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 yeah, you're fair enough. Yeah, 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 you're right. Yeah. Anyway, but that is the um yeah, the mystery trumpeter of um, in Edinburgh. Yeah. So, um have you seen anything else this week? Uh, no, that's all. That's all I've got. You get anything else? Um the only other thing, it's a quick two-line article it is from the Dumbarton and Vale of Leven reporter and I just uh, just like the headline, driver on A82 near Carrick Golf Club metal dealing. Um <laughs> a man has been arrested for operating as a metal dealer without a license. Oh. <laughs> the 50 the 50 year old was stopped in a van on the 882 near Garrett Golf Club. Um he was reportedly found not to have an MOT nor a license for metal dealing. Um he also had a defective handbrake. Oh dear. So he will he will attend court at a later date. So who knew that metal dealing was a, a criminal activity? Yeah. Didn't realize that at all. Yes. You need a license to sell metal. Oh, yeah, I did not know that. Well, there you go. Well, there you go. If you're back in Scotland and you're trying to sell metal, then you know you need a license. Okay. Uh, Right. Well, before we go on to what we're going to be talking about on our Swally Spooktacular today, let's have a little word from our sponsors. And our sponsor on this episode is Doric Skateboards. Doric Skateboards is a skateboard brand created by Gary Kemp, whose main focus is to explore the people and culture of Aberdeen and the northeast of Scotland and to create designs that reflect that area. Doric Skateboards screen print their own decks in their studio by Gary's Fair Hand and they've produced some amazing designs over the years including an Annie Lennox inspired board, a Robert the Bruce deck and a plenty of pop deck inspired by the old Bonacord trucks that used to drive around Aberdeen delivering fizzy drinks. Doric Skateboards also replicate these amazing designs onto their clothing on 100% organic cotton tees, hoodies and sweatshirts and you can fill your boots on stickers, pin badges, beanies, caps and a whole lot more. Gary regularly collaborates with local artists to ensure he brings the latest designs to the market but always with a Doric twist including their amazing new Northfield Tower design. Check out Doric Skateboards for yourself on DoricSkateboards.com and follow them on Instagram at Doric Skateboards to see the amazing designs that they have on offer. And we are delighted to be able to offer you 15% off as listeners to this podcast. All you need to do is head to DoricSkateboards.com, have a look at the amazing decks, stickers, badges, hoodies, tees and hats, everything they have on offer, and enter the promo code SWALLY. That's S-W-A-L-L-Y, all in block capitals. Same with the name of this podcast to get your 15% off. That's DoricSkateboards.com. Uh, so, it was your turn to pick uh, for the Culture Swally Spooktacular. So, what are we talking about today? Thank you very much, Greg. Well, yes, exactly as you've said, as it's Halloween, or, well, it's just passed, um, I'd like to look at the 2014 horror film, Let Us Pray. It comes from Irish director Brian O'Malley, and it was mostly filmed in Ireland, but it's very much set in Scotland, with a predominant Scottish cast, so it counts as a Swally <laughs> film. It definitely counts as a Scottish film. Because uh, I've read, read a lot of stuff online about Irish film. I'm like, no, no, it's, it's definitely Scottish. It definitely counts. So, 
Uh, starring Liam Cunningham, who has been on the Swally before in Dog Soldiers. Pollyanna McIntosh, who was in last year's Swally Spectacular on White Settlers. Mm. And for some reason, I keep wanting to say White Settlers whenever I'm referring to this film. And I'm, I blame Pollyanna McIntosh for it. Uh, Jonathan Watson, Brian Larkin, Douglas Russell and Hannah Stanbridge, amongst others. It tells the story of Rachel, a rookie cop about to begin her first shift in a small Scottish police station in a small town. But when a mysterious stranger arrives in town, all hell breaks loose so greg you mentioned in the last episode you'd never even heard of this film no. before so how was your first viewing of let us pray i i did enjoy the film i watched it twice if i'm being honest i enjoyed it more the second time than the first time yeah. mm-hmm. because i think it's a wee bit i don't know the the beginning of it is just fantastic when we see uh, liam mm. liam cunningham's character who is known as six in the in the sort of cast listing, you know, they, they it's shot so it looks as though he sort of emerges from this angry sea and starts walking towards the town. I thought, mm. fucking hell, we're in for a big, an absolutely brilliant experience here. And then it's sort of like, it, you know, I think we'll, we'll get into the detail. It's sort of flounders a wee bit, I think, in setting up the mm. setting the scene. But when it gets going. You know, when the wheels start to come off and everything else, it's fucking, it's really, really good. I really enjoyed it. Good. Yeah, I would agree with you. I think it was the second viewing. I watched it twice as well. And I I totally agree with you. In the beginning, I was like, oh, yeah, we're in for a treat here. This looks good. And I agree. I, I did get a little bit bored in maybe, yeah. you know, 25 minutes in or so. Like, I, I did find myself maybe looking at my phone mm-hmm. and thinking okay right what's happening and then yeah then it just goes absolutely fucking batshit crazy and okay i'm in for this and yeah i would agree the second viewing i i watched it to make my notes but i was very focused because i think i knew what was coming so i'm like okay need to focus on this and um to get into this so like i say it could be uh, could be argued an Irish film, Irish director, of course, Liam Cunningham's in mm-hmm. it to begin with. Um, you know, and mostly filmed in Ireland, but it's definitely Scottish film, definitely yeah. Scottish. And it's not, it's not scary as such. I mean, it's very intense and it's very gory yeah. as well yeah. in parts. And I think the first half does do quite a good job of building up the tension and uncertainty of what's happening. Mm-hmm. And then, like I said, the last 25 minutes is just absolutely fucking bananas. It's, yeah. it's brilliant. Yeah, it's really good. <laughs> it's really good. Um, the, I think the the one who the the thing that sort of I'm not going to say ruined it for me because it didn't ruin it for me, but it sort of jarred me a little bit uh, in the beginning was the actor Brian Vernal who plays Caesar because like mm. his first I, I mean I made a note when I was watching it because I made my notes the first time and then I made some more notes the second time I watched it and I made a note saying is Brian Vernal just been allowed to fucking make, say his own lines like make up his own lines because. I mean, I've seen him in a few things, and he's sort he's he's success. He's had quite a successful career. I mean, he's in Star Wars. He's in yeah. Star Wars for fuck's sake. You know what I mean? Yeah. And amongst a lot of other things, but you know, and I, I mean, I, sh- I shouldn't say this because I am no actor, but he's not a very good actor. Not in this, I would say. No, I don't think there's. Yeah. But he's playing a little Ned, effectively. So does he have to be really? But yeah, there are. I don't know. There's a few lines that are that are okay that he comes away with when he's being cheeky and stuff. Mm. You know, when he's he's asking for like the um, is that you with a cup of tea? I saw some. 
bourbon creams up there and then you then that's when he sees six coming in and his face kind of drops but i i thought he was okay but yeah maybe uh, possibly the weak link of the film yeah. because the rest of the cast are very good. very strong yeah. i would say i mean there's at one point it refers to the to the village police as Five zero. Yeah, that you know? yeah that jarred me yeah. a little bit. I, I was like, yeah, I wouldn't have thought, especially in two thousand fourteen, that you would. Yeah, uh, but is it? Well, he's still in school, so what? He's seventeen, sixteen, yeah, seventeen, something like that. So he's not going to be familiar with no. Hawaii Five Zero <laughs> no. or, or calling cops Five Zero. He's just going to be. He's going to be calling them pigs or the filth. Yeah, around about that time. Because the thing is, like, it, he's, he's supposed to have been involved in this horrendous accident before we join him, where he's hit the wee girl walking along the road. Mm -hmm. But he's not really acting like somebody who has ran two people over by accident because his react his no. reaction in both cases is like his immediate reaction in both instances of hitting people is oh fuck oh no and you know yeah. guilt you know remorse regret and then he's fucking wisecracking away about bourbons and the 5-0. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, that's it, because you can get away with it thinking that, because he's knocked down six, and that's the first thing yeah. like, you know, he says when he gets out of the car. Oh, not another yeah. one. And, okay, six has vanished, so he thinks he's gotten away with that. But surely you would still be feeling guilty and remorseful knowing you've just ran over one of your classmates. Yeah. Earlier. Exactly, but he doesn't seem to be phased by it at all, really. Until he's uh, until he sort of reckons with uh, six later on in the film. So I mean, I think this is um, it's a very contained film. It's basically just set in the the police station, yeah. effectively the whole time, really. And I love a a film like that that's very contained mm. in a claustrophobic in, in a claustrophobic environment. Very heavily influenced, in my opinion, by John Carpenter. Yeah, exactly. This type yeah. of film because it's it's assault on precinct thirteen, yeah. and there's such a a beautiful kind of synth soundtrack to it as well yeah. that is just very Carpenter-esque that I, I I really enjoyed that element because big fan of John yeah. Carpenter. But it was nice to see that kind of, that element being brought into it and you could see the kind of influence, I think, yeah. uh, on the director. Yeah, yeah, sort of. The Although the assault, I guess, is sort of from within the police station, mm. you know, but yeah, you're right, yeah. you're right. I mean, I, that, the, my first thought was assault and... Uh, precinct 13 because i thought mm. well, what's going to happen yeah. here is are they going to be are they going to have to be trying to keep six out of the police station you know what i mean yeah. or something like that and they can get the prisoners involved and everything else but you know it, but, we, we, when i saw him in the scene when he's brought in to the police station when um when uh, hannah stanbridge and uh, uh what's the other guy the other uh the other police officer bring him into the station and you know because they find him wandering around i was like ah mm. all right what's going to happen and, you know so they that i think it was at that point that the film sort of really got its hook into me because i saw i thought that i could i knew what was gonna i, I knew what would happen you know i thought like that this will happen and then he'll do that and then she'll do that and blah 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 and then when when, when he comes into the station and um uh, sergeant mccready starts mm. acting really weird and you know, and kind of buggers off, and then the doctor uh, starts acting odd and everything else. And you start to get the you start to get the flashbacks to PC Monday and uh, PC Warnock uh, mm. sort of beating the suspect up in the interview room and things. That was like, all oh, right, so this is where the horror elements mm. are going to start to come in, you know? So yeah, so it is. I mean, it's a small cast in terms of the contained environment. So you, 
effectively the the premise of the story is that you have Pollyanna McIntosh as, as PC Rachel Heggie and it's her first day at this new small police station. On her way there, she sees Caesar running down this guy Six, mm. but Six disappears. She takes Caesar into the police station, meets Sergeant McCready, then the other two officers are there as well. You know, they they end up taking Six there, and then we go to the cells and meet the the people that are there. I mean, initially it's just Jonathan Watson as um, Mr. Bessick, um, but then later on the doctor joins them, and then it's very much the the contained element of the the police station and just the people that are in there, yeah. which I think works well. But I agree the the flashback element of when Six is there, because you're not sure what, what this guy is mm-hmm. and who he is mm-hmm. and, and what the, the situation is. But when they start having these flashbacks, as you say, you're kind of like, ah, okay, now I get it. And I think that's a, a very good way of them doing it, that you get to see effectively the what all these people have done and why they're there. Yeah. And that's when you're getting the inkling, okay, so is Six here to effectively avenge and, and collect? And, you know, what is what is he doing here? And especially when Sergeant McCree says to him, you know, do his fingerprints and say, so you're Alexander Monroe, you died in 1983, age 79. Yeah. But, you know, he's very much there. So you know there's a, a supernatural element to him. Yeah. And Liam Cunningham's great, actually, as well. I mean, he's right, as you mentioned before, we'd had him. He was a, he was on a swally when we did Dog Soldiers, which I think was two years ago now. We did Dog Soldiers, is it? Yeah, no. yeah. Um, and we our first Halloween spectacular, mm-hmm. and he, uh, you know, he's not. He doesn't have like a lot of lines until you know, sort of maybe like the last, last kind of ten, fifteen minutes of the film. You know, when he, you know, he's sort sort of explaining who he is without explaining who he is exactly. And then the 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 little moments when he sort of keeps appearing to um Sergeant McCready when he when mm. he's off doing his fucking sinister, dastardly things and in the process of which fucking losing his grip before he comes back to the police station. He's he's you know, he's he's fucking he's great. And the thing is for Liam Cunningham, the year before he filmed this, he got arguably his biggest part, which was in the second series of Game of Thrones, which he was in until the very end, you know? Mm. And he's cut you know, this is obviously quite a low budget film, although they do have considering it's a low budget film, they do have quite a lot of acting horsepower in the shape of Pony Anna Macintosh. Uh, Liam mm. Cunningham um, and um, the actor who plays Sergeant McCready, Douglas Russell, who when I was looking at his IMDb, he's been in fucking hundreds and hundreds of things. Yeah, you know, so for to come back and you know he's 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 playing the lead. Uh, he's completely sinister. He does a great job, I think. Of you're not sure whether he is a good guy or a bad guy, you know, until mm. the very end when it's sort of revealed exactly who he is. He's fantastic. Yeah. And I, I listened to an interview with the director and he said like when he got the original script, the character of Six was meant to be a lot more talkative mm. and cocky mm-hmm. as you would expect, I guess, who he is yeah. would be like. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm thinking about, um, I guess, like the TV show Reaper, for example. Yeah. The, um, the character in that is very kind of cocky and, and talkative mm-hmm. and, you know, whereas... The, the director had Liam Cunningham in mind for the role and said, no, we need to strip this back. Yeah. And I think it works so much better the way that he is. It's, it's exactly as you say, you're not sure if he's actually a good guy or yeah, a bad yeah. guy, what's going on with him, what's happening here. Because he's talking to all the prisoners and, and almost trying to get them to admit or... Yeah. or get to the bottom of why they've done what they've done and and understand so you're kind of like okay whose side is he on what is he doing here and at the end of the day i mean there's no real huge twist in the film no well 
you could say the end, but it's simply a case of six is just coming to collect the souls of the sinners. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, even even give Caesar a chance to sort of come clean with, you know, and admit what he's done and everything. And, you know, he's he's the only one in the cells who has got like a slight chance of redemption with six if he just owns up to what he's done and sort of accepts responsibility for it and allows himself to face justice. Um, but obviously Caesar's too much of a fucking coward to do it. And he uh, was dispatched pretty fucking <laughs> grimly, isn't he? <laughs> well, to be fair, I think he does get through to Caesar because Caesar does try to tell Mundy about what's mm. happened. Mm. She ignores him. Mm-hmm when they come in to grab the doctor. That's right. And then, of course, that's the next, like, ten minutes. And then by the time he tells Rachel about it, it's too late. Too late, yeah. If he told her... And we do see when Sergeant McCready is driving home to empty his fridge, we do see that he passes the body on the side of the road. Yeah. So he could have seen her and and stopped as well. So Caesar could have maybe been retributed there Mm -hmm. and and maybe got off with it. But yeah, I do think that sex is quite fair when you're saying that to Caesar. Of, you know, you have time, you know, we, we can still redeem you. Yeah. So, I mean, okay, we can... Just, you know, spoiler if you haven't seen this, but you know that we spoil everything. (laughs) So, Six is the devil, effectively. Now, do we think that this movie is set in purgatory? Because he's obviously orchestrated, and he does say pretty much as much towards the end, that he's orchestrated for all those people to be there at that time. So you can do this because they're the only people we see and interact with yep. in the film. Like the entire the entire town is empty. Like you see the pub empty, the petrol station, the shop. No, nobody's there. The only people we see are the main players yep. and and the girl that Caesar kills. Uh-huh. So and, and the guy that Macready kills, of course. Yeah. Sorry, um, in in his house. So you know, are we led to believe that this is purgatory? Effectively, I mean, it, and he's orchestrated for them all to be there. Yeah, I mean, it could be. It's quite interesting. Quite an interesting. So a theory, but then for it to be purgatory, then they've all died mm. already, right? And, yeah. and this is it. So I think that's where maybe, you know, that's, that's sort of kind of twist that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> this is good. Yeah, I mean, it could be. The thing is, though, with, um, what's his name? With uh, Sergeant McCready, for him to, he, he's the one who's like the most affected initially by the arrival of the six. And he's the one who sees him. He's the one that sort you know, when he's in the house and he sort of and when he's back mm. in his house and he's getting the he's yeah. getting the body out of his uh, fridge, he's the one who sort of sees six out the corner of his eye, you know, like where Liam, Liam Cunningham sort of turns up with kind of ping pong balls over his <laughs> over his eyes. <laughs> and, you know, and his and it's just it sort of leads to you know, and he and he said was it he said he says something to McCready that makes McCready have to leave the police station and go home to get the to get the body out of his fridge, doesn't he? So well, they they have a, a the whole talk about religion, and it it's more of the the vision at that point that that makes him go because he does say they're talking about religion, yeah. and um, he says to Six, "So you don't believe in God?" Mm. And Six says, "I didn't say that, but I would like a fucking word." Yeah, yeah. Then is when McCready kind of sees the vision of the the bin bags by the door. Yeah, and that freaks him out, and that's when he yeah decides to go. Something in common. We're both Christian men. Except you're more of an Old Testament kind of guy, aren't you? The blood on the vengeance. The sweat. And the spunk. I can smell it. A 
say I don't remember that one from Sunday school. Neither do I, but then I jumped ship. So you don't believe in God? Didn't say that. But I would like a fucking word. Because McCready kind of becomes the the sort of instrument of Six's retribution to a large extent, doesn't he? Because he, he kills Caesar, he kills mm. um, Warnock, he mm-hmm. inadvertently kills uh, Monday, doesn't he? I don't think it inadvertently. He does slam her neck. Oh, yeah. I I did. With a shotgun. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he does kill her. Yeah, you're right. I thought he sort of tripped her or, or, or whatever. I mean, she was... She was pretty much um, yeah. dead. No, well, he, he yeah, because he shoots the water canister, and then when she's running on the chair, she slips on the chair. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. So he does kind of cause. Yeah, and then yeah, jams her head with the, yeah. the shotgun. Yeah. Um. You know what? We'll come on to the end. I think short. Yeah. Um. Because there's a lot to talk about in the last twenty minutes yeah. of yeah. fucking brilliant uh, scenes. To talk about the cast, I mean, I think we've done Liam Cunningham as six. Mm-hmm. You know, he's, he's playing the stranger comes to town. He's playing the devil yeah. effectively, and he's come to collect the souls of all these people at the police station. So we kind of see the the focus initially through Pollyanna McIntosh's character, Rachel. So she's, you know, her story's never kind of explained as to why she's ended up in this town. Mm-hmm. Because McCready does say at one point, you know, there's a reason you were sent here yeah. to me. And that's when I thought, okay, Six has orchestrated this yeah. somehow in terms of getting her there. Now, she is police constable, but her flashbacks, we see her being abused Mm. as a girl. She was kidnapped and held hostage in this room and abused by this, you know, horrible guy. And you see her kind of coming to terms. So you're kind of waiting to see if there was something else that she did. But but no, Uh, effectively, as we go on through the film we find out that it was six that kind of saved her yeah. when she was a kid and, and she was able to escape and she's obviously lived with this gone into the police force and she's a pretty straight-laced cop yeah in terms of you know her work but um and and the other police officers aren't too happy yeah. with her being here yeah for sure and she's you know they there's a scene at the beginning where she sort of wakes up we sort of see her wake up for the night shift and the black feathers in her bed and she's mm. you know she's been dreaming about her experiences as a child her you know the, the trauma that she experienced as a kid that you just described and then you know she gets a uniform on and gets herself down to the station but yeah so the director had mentioned that in his opinion the greatest action hero of all time is Lieutenant Ellen Ripley. Right. And that's why I think Rachel is kind of based heavily on Ripley in terms of being a badass Mm. and... You know, and, and there's no what I really liked about this as well is because it could have gone down this route, there's no sexualization, you would say. Yeah. Like you see her towards the end, she's in her vest, and it would have been easy for it to be, oh, I need to just get into this skimpy vest. Yeah. But it's 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 more of a necessity. She's been hit, yeah. she needs to tie off a tourniquet, and there's no lingering kind of sexual shots. No. It's more of a yeah, this girl's a fucking badass. She looks fucking great in that vest. She's ripped, she's gonna yeah fucking smash some heads in and the character holds her own so well the you know the fights that she's in when she smashes the doctor in the face with a nightstick yeah. you're like fucking brilliant yeah. and then and there's a couple of great bits the fight she has with warnock and mundy as well like she just absolutely leathers mundy with a head yeah and it's, it's fucking brilliant to see yeah a real badass character though you know but i guess she's been through that trauma at a young age so she's probably dedicated her life since then to making sure she's never going to find herself in a situation like that ever again. So she's going to be able to handle herself and then dedicate her life to police force. Yeah, for sure. And she, and she's she's a good physical 
actress Pollyanna McIntosh anyway you know like mm. when we did Zen White Settlers last year she's got some good bits in that where she's sort of fighting these guys off yeah you know yeah it's it's completely believable yeah. in terms of you know I believe it's not like oh, I don't know I'm trying to think of a, a bad example like I'm probably not going to believe like Margot Robbie doing a oh no I would actually because she's obviously still Harley Quinn yeah and stuff, yeah but, do you know what I mean? Like in the wrong, I know what you mean. In the hands yeah. of a wrong actress, you know, it could look a little bit forced. But I actually really believe Pollyanna McIntosh. She's good because she's she's got the good frame for it mm. as well, and she's just a uh, yeah, really you know, she's, strong. She's good at. She's also good at conveying a sort of sense of vulnerability as well. Yeah. So you know, even in 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 White Settlers, you know, obviously she's just a regular sort of. 30 something woman that's moved into a house you know what I mean in this mm. you know she's got her police training and everything else but she's still she still displays a vulnerability in this which makes mm-hmm. which makes the moments when she has to defend herself the fights you know the fights with the doctor and uh, Monday and Warnock and then later on uh, with McCready and everything you know they're sort of like more satisfying to us as a viewer, because it's always it's always satisfying when a vulnerable character kind of sort of fights back and su- mm. successfully fights back. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And she's and the thing is for her as well, being that she's sort of uh, she's as an actress, she's she, she seems to be doing quite well in the states now. Ever since she did The Walking mm. Dead, and yeah. I, I I did like her in The Walking Dead. I thought the. Mm. The storyline was a bit ridiculous. Like only a, mm. only a few years after this zombie apocalypse, this society has evolved and it's got its own language, its own way of talking, and everything. I thought was pretty fucking stupid. But um, <laughs> but she but she was like compelling as uh, as the kind of leader. I, I forget the name. Yeah. I forget the name of the group. Yeah, it's it's the people that live in like the, the what is this, like the trash men or something. Scrapyard, the, yeah. Yeah, I think they got a license to live in that scrapyard. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, but she's compelling. You know, like because she's very attractive woman, but she, but not in a kind of conventional sort of way. You know, she's got a certain look about her. She's got that kind of physicality about her, and she's obviously a, a very good actress. But she was even great in Bob Servant. You know, um, so and this was a, this was a big year for her. She did, she did Filth, White Settlers, and um, and Let Us Pray all sort of kind of back to back. No, she's brilliant. I, I really liked her in this, and I really liked her in White Settlers. Mm. Um, and as you say, I liked her in Bob Servant, and um, yeah, Filth as well. She's brilliant in the Size Queen. <laughs> no, she's a a great actress, and obviously become the the, the swally scream queen she has yeah, by being yeah. in the, the back-to-back horrors her latest film is called apocalypse clown <laughs> i don't think it's a scottish film though so i don't think we'll be able to do it for the <laughs> oh is she in that yeah. oh fantastic i didn't realize I'd, i've been waiting to see that because um david earl plays one of the clowns in that he's um in like afterlife yeah, and yeah. Derek and stuff and um, Brian and Charles yeah um, so yeah oh, I'll look forward to seeing that because I really like him yeah but yeah a, a great character I think uh, as Rachel Heggie and you I mean we'll come on to the end when we speak about the, the the final scenes and then we speak about the scene with her in six but I think it's a very touching scene and and all comes round kind of full circle yeah the other kind of main person in the police station is um, Douglas Russell who plays sergeant jim mccready mm. basically the introduction to him is we rachel takes 
sees her in the police station and we see that he's watching porn on the computer. <laughs> yeah. do, you, do you see the quick flash of that? I did um, see a quick flash. It's like a man in a jockstrap. <laughs> he's hiding, obviously, a very dark secret. He's got body parts in his fridge. He's he's ultra-religious and ultra-Catholic and very lives his life by the Bible. He wears a cross around his neck, but he's evidently gay. Yeah. And he is, I presume, sleeping with these men and then kind of taking the anger out on them at what he's done. Yeah. Because he's... You can't come to terms with the fact that he is a homosexual and he's then just battering the fuck out of all these guys. Yep, well, beating them to death, essentially, isn't he? Um, you know, he does his little sexy underpants dance and then just, like, <laughs> leathers the poor guy on his bed, doesn't he? Yeah. yeah. And I think that, that that scene is so harrowing in terms of when he's just beating the fuck out of the guy oh, because you It's the noise. Isn't it? Yeah. It's the yeah. It's that meaty yeah. it's sort of meaty slaps and punch noises. You got to imagine someone's punching like a pig carcass or something to get that noise, but horrible soil uh, noise, the brutality. And it's because also you don't kind of see it. The way it cuts quite quickly and you've got the door frame in the way, so some of the punches you don't see them yeah. actually landing, and then the next one you see landing, and it's just really effectively cut and mm. it's really harrowing yeah that scene and then of course then he kind of disappears for the next half hour but then oh boy does he come back <laughs> yeah. in a big way at the end for sure yeah and i think as I, I thought to myself you know one thing that maybe could have been played better is you know what what is the thing that makes him snap and come back mm. to the police station or arms to the teeth yeah you know yeah it's kind of n- not really explained in a way no. because you see him on the phone to rachel yeah and then yeah then he just appears obviously because um, we see all the there's like there's like a handful of missing persons sort of posters mm. on the on the bulletin board in the police station and the so i think the implication is later on in the film the implication is is that he that he's responsible yeah. for all these missing people you know yeah, um, yeah definitely so you know, I think, you know, it would have been good to maybe like an extra few minutes just really showing his mind really snapping and, and, and dry. Because you would think that the easiest thing to do for him would just be to fuck off. You know, so I get the body parts, get in his car, get rid of the mm. body parts somewhere and just disappear. But he yeah. he's compelled to come back and essentially commit a mass shooting at the police station and kill his colleagues and the and the and the prisoners and the cells and the uh, kind of down below. You know, maybe like a few more sort of exponential minutes, just uh, just sort of showing them. They're showing some kind of catalyst that makes them sort of wig out, you know? You know, you're completely right. I know we're a big fan of, hey, if we can get it to like 90 minutes or so, Mm. then we're happy with that. (laughs) I think this is an hour and 32 minutes. So I could have have done with like another three minutes or so. You're right, to go into what McCready, Mm -hmm. exactly as you say, what drove him to actually snap? Because when it was unhinged individual anyway, but something must have made him go, right, fuck it. I'm going to go and... Yeah, yeah. Go Terminator style on um, on the police station and my colleagues. I thought it might be that he wanted to come and murder six, but obviously, mm. if he was going to murder six, he couldn't just walk in and kill them walk out again. He'd have to kill all the witnesses as well. Yeah, you know, so maybe that would be it. So then the other two police officers, um, Hannah Stanbridge uh, as Mundy mm. and Brian Larkin as Warnock. Yeah. Other two constables, they're obviously having an affair. They have a history of beating up witnesses and killing both uh, well, suspects. Yeah. Not nice individuals, and they're not very welcoming to Rachel either. No. But yeah, you just get the, the impression that they're, um, yeah, horrible individuals. Yeah. 
But Hannah does keep up her, sorry, Monday does keep up her pelvic floor exercises. So, you yes. know, that's what it's all about. She does indeed. Yeah. She does indeed. But yeah, so they're, um, yeah, not very nice individuals. But there's not really a huge amount of story with them either. They just, I mean, they obviously find the, the doctor's um, family yeah. dead. But um, it, it, effectively, they're having an affair. And then, yeah, they, they have this fight later on with Rachel. And then they kill the doctor. And mm. then effectively conspire to blame it all on Rachel have the fight but yeah and, and you get the impression they're going to take her out and then they might take out McCready as well Yeah, like if he comes in because they're just going to say that there was a big fight and everyone died apart from them effectively not necessarily a foolproof plan, I don't think, on their part. No. <laughs> um, anyway, they don't quite, um, they don't manage to get away with it effectively and meet their demise. But again, we'll talk about that when we come to the final yeah. like, face-off. So then I guess to talk about the prisoners. So we've kind of spoken about Caesar, I would say. Um mm. Brian Vernal playing Caesar, kind of young joyrider who ends up knocking down a girl and then knocking down six and yeah. effectively pays for that later on. But when he gets into the cells, he is met with his teacher, uh, Ralph Bessick, played by mm. Jonathan Watson in a, <laughs> a strange um, kind of serious role. Yeah. For Jonathan Watson. So I did watch an interview with the director and Pollyanna McIntosh. Um, they were interviewed at a film festival. And the director said that he had cast Pollyanna and Liam uh-huh. as kind of the two leads effectively. But he was just doing, he, he likes to watch what people have been in to get like a, a gauge on them. Yeah. And he watched he watched Bob Servant <laughs> to watch Pollyanna in action. Yeah. And he said, and I just, I just found this little guy hysterical. <laughs> like, so Jonathan Morrison is yeah, Frank. Yeah. So when it comes to filming and they're casting, someone mentioned Jonathan Watson's name. And the director was like, yes, I'll have him, definitely. <laughs> I want him in the film. So that's how he ended up, basically, because the director had watched Bob Servant. Strange character for him to play, but he's brilliant yes, in this, he, he is really. brilliant. And I think, I mean, for us, we've obviously grown up watching him in Naked Video and, you know, Only an Excuse and... Uh, Two Doors Down and all the other things, you know, where he's, uh, Bob Servant, of course, where he's, uh, you know, he's essentially, his bread and butter is uh, comedy acting. And he's one of the, mm. he's one of the funniest people. I mean, even, even in the sort of, you know, like, Two Doors Down is largely brilliant, but there's, I think it's fair to say there's a couple of maybe weaker episodes in there, mm. especially, yeah. which is, I think is quite common with a lot of sitcoms as they, as they sort of mature, you know, they, they sort of gold dust is spread a little thinner on the later episodes than it is in the first couple of yeah. series. But there's always, in every single episode of Two Doors Down, there's always a moment where Jonathan Watson cracks me up. Do you know what I mean? Like, always. <laughs> even, in, even in those episodes that aren't quite as good as, you know, as some of the more classic ones. He's just really, really funny. And the, and the only other time I've seen him do a sort of serious turn was in a post McManus uh, Taggart called uh, mm. uh, Football Crazy the series, the, the story's called and it's like the film in um, Partick Thistle's ground and stuff and it's murder at a football club I'm sure you won't be surprised to hear and he's, uh, <laughs> I, th- I, th- I can't remember if he's the chairman or he's the team manager or whatever, they've obviously got him in because he did only an excuse and his connection with Scottish football, a little bit of cute casting. But yeah, he's absolutely fantastic in this. And, you know, when when he starts to, you know, when Six sort of makes him crack and he starts yeah. to bang his head off the bars, I was just, I mean, 
and again, it's like the scene we spoke about a few moments ago when um, McCready is beating the guy up in his bedroom. It's you feel it, you know, like the yeah. sound effects, the way it's cut. It really. I mean, I mean, obviously, Jonathan Watson wasn't smashing his head against the bars of the cell door in reality, but it really feels like he is. You know what I mean? It's re- it's like it's it's really it's filmed in such a way just to really make you uncomfortable and feel every feel every kind of bounce of his forehead off the bar you know there's a real trick to shooting uh, a film like this like which is pretty gory but it doesn't go too far yeah into the the gore territory like i, I was speaking to you just the other day like i watched evil dead rise last week yeah, yeah. And, and that's super gory but it, it's meant to be over the yeah, top yeah, gore. Yeah. so you know it's, it's meant to be ridiculous but this i think does such a a good way of showing you know for example the just as you said mccready beating the guy yeah. watson banging his head and we'll come on to some later on you know even when the doctor dies it's not over the top it i guess what i'm trying to say is i think a lot of it is quite realistic mm. which makes it worse yeah it's more uncomfortable in my opinion yeah. like i said to you the worst thing about evil dead rise is when the woman gets the cheese grater down the leg <laughs> that's because it's something we can all relate to so i think they've done a really good job in terms of the way they've shot this of of the kind of violent elements but you're right it's so uncomfortable yeah. when he's back in his head the bit that made me squirm the most in this and you'll think you'll think i'm making this up but the thing that made me squirm the most is when caesar breaks his fingernail off when he's uh Oh, no. I, I, I don't think you're making. No, I wouldn't. I thought you were making that up. It's horrible yeah. because, again, it's something we can all relate yeah, to. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I, I can't relate to having my head rammed through a table no. leg or getting my face with a battering ram, but I can relate to, you know, breaking off a fingernail or something. Yeah, yeah. Like if I, you know, if I, if I cut my nail down too low and it's sore for a couple of days, it's, it's, yeah. it's horrible pain, let alone the whole thing coming off. Oh, Jesus, no, yeah. it's horrible. Yeah, eyes and, eyes and fingernails just make me... <laughs> you know. So, yeah, Jonathan Watson's character is teacher, but he's in there because he's been beating up his wife, yep. and it seems like he's doing that all the time. Now, I find that quite interesting in the why he's there because, you know what I'm about to say, like the rest of them have all committed murder. Yeah. He hasn't committed murder what he's doing is fucking deplorable yeah. and could lead to murder, you know, eventually if he takes things too far. Mm-hmm. But he hasn't committed a murder, but obviously his crime is is bad enough and deplorable enough for him to be in there yeah, yeah. and to be on Six's hit list. Well, for sure. You know, I mean, it's we're led to believe that this has been a, that he's a regular and the, the, mm. the, the wife always drops the charges the next day, which, you know, which is something you hear a lot about in reports of sort of sustained prolonged domestic abuse the the wives often will do that for whatever reason you know so he's i think there's a there's a case to say that he deserves to be there among these guys and it's you know and you and i like the sort of ambiguity around what makes him sort of snap you know when he starts spacking his head off the bars is it a sort of self uh, kind of flagellation as he has six in his way got into his mind and made him remorseful when this is him punishing himself uh, or is this him trying to get to Caesar just because he's obviously got issues with rage uh, which is maybe behind mm. why he treats his wife so terribly and I think it is sort of it, 
conveyed that his frustrations with being a teacher and his the restraint he has to show in the classroom when there's kids like Caesar who maybe fucks around and makes it difficult for him to do his job, that frustration he then takes home and takes out in his wife. Do you know what I mean? And then this is and yeah. this is him, you know, by hook or crook he's gonna get through these bars and get to Caesar and make him pay for making him the way he is. But obviously there's, yeah. there's only so many times you can smack your head off a fucking iron bar before you're going to check out, you know? Yeah, it's horrible. Mm. Absolutely horrible scene. Brutal death. And he's the, the first to, to die. I was hoping for a Jonathan Watson not really dead. You know, like he's in the corner yeah. with a sheet over him. It'd have been cool if we'd just seen him sort of, sort of sit up kind of George Romero style and actually we all thought he was dead but he's not really and he, and and he'd be the one that would fucking get hold of Caesar you know <laughs> <laughs> and then I guess the, the last person really that we have is Dr. Hume played by Niall Greg Fulton evil horrible character yeah in terms of the, the doctor that comes to patch up six he sees the vision that six has showed him he tries to attack six and then gets thrown in the cells but then yeah they go around to his house and find out that he's murdered his wife and kids he's like you know, so S- S- sergeant mccready aside he's like this kind of bona fide psychopath yeah in the in the in the company do you know what i mean he's you know on the, on the one hand he's he's the trusted community doctor you know they call him out to, you know he's out to he's out to check on six because six has got he's obviously he's been ran over <laughs> but he's you know he's got some cuts and bruises he's not you know he's not he's not talking he needs to be examined by a doctor and he comes out and he's a very plausible trusted community doctor to your point and then it turns out that behind that he's a complete psychopath that's murdered his family to try and find their souls within their body or something like that you know yeah it's it's something about what everlasting life yeah or, yeah or something in terms of the the trick and yeah, yeah. cutting his son's top of his head off effectively yeah. But, um yeah not a, a great character um a great fight scene yeah. between him and rachel and then of course it's it's warnock and mccready well warnock that effectively ends it but you feel that six has goaded him in to doing that yeah yeah in terms of he manipulated him isn't he yeah. and uh yeah gruesome death his um his head gets rammed through a table leg well his eye mm. and um quite a lot of force because it comes right at the back of his it head does. Well. let me ask you something like, do you think if this if this film came out in the sort of late 70s early 80s with the level of violence and Gore. Like it, do, 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 do you think it would be in the old video nasty list? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I would say so. Because I think, I mean, obviously nowadays we're like desensitized and stuff. But if you, for example, I'd say there's a lot more gore and violence in this than there is in like Driller Killer. Yeah, but, for example. I mean, I've never ever seen Driller Killer. The 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 one that's good. Yeah, it's good, is it? Or are you just good? Yeah, I like Driller <laughs> Killer. Yeah. No, no, genuinely, yeah. I I remember enjoying it when I watched it. I haven't watched it in about twenty years, but I remember enjoying it. But um, yeah, I might uh, seek that out. Yeah, watch Driller Killer again. The one that always springs to my mind that I always felt. I, I mean, I saw it when I was a lot older. I saw it when I was well into my twenties. But I I I knew of it by its kind of reputation was The Hills of Eyes. And then when, when mm. I finally got to watch it, when I finally, when, the, when a lot of these movies were deemed no longer video nasties and were available again, and I, I, I watched it on DVD, and it felt like it was just, 
sort of horrible for the sake of being horrible. Do you know what I mean? And mm. and it's it's a Wes Craven movie. You know, it, it not, normally yeah. his films like and A Nightmare on Elm Street. It's not like that. You know what I mean? There's a lot of mythology and stuff in that first film, and he's playing with a lot of different mm. themes and a lot of legend and stuff like that. Um, it's actually quite a clever film, the first Nightmare on Elm Street, if you really analyse it. But this just this mm. just felt like it was just nasty for the sake of it. And when I was watching this one, I thought, I, I didn't think that Let's Pray was just sort of nasty for the sake of being nasty, because it's quite an interesting premise. And they, 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 they yeah. said at the beginning, there's a nod to John Carpenter in sort of siege movies and things like Assault on Precinct 13, but it does feel like they're having a bit of fun toward the end. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, oh. And it, 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 and it, and it you know, because the violence is sort of absurd really do you know what i mean in a lot of ways it's like caesar being killed by having his face kind of buffed off by the you know by the shoe buffer well i mean i think we can go into it it does get quite hot fuzz-esque towards yeah, the yeah. end but like a, a gory version of hot fuzz so macready comes back into the police station he's wrapped himself in barbed wire yeah he's got his shotgun and he just goes fucking i mean beautiful line because uh, Rachel, she she he phones Rachel and Rachel mm. leaves the phone on and I think is it one of McCready um, and the other says you know what, what did you get that old fuck involved for yeah. and then he just comes bursting the door which one of you called me an old fuck yeah. and <laughs> blam with a shotgun yeah. and just goes absolutely mental on everyone and it's yeah it's it's actually brilliant <laughs> yeah. when he. He comes in, and that's when the violence just ramps up. I mean, I'm sorry, but when he blows Warnock's balls off, <laughs> that is one of the best shots I've ever seen in terms of someone getting their balls blown off. Like, it actually looks like you can see bits drop down, yeah. and it's horrible. <laughs> but And because you don't see it from the front, you see it from behind yeah. as well. It's, it's, oh, it's just incredible. <sighs> Which one of you fucks called me old? What the fuck? Yeah, I mean, you know, as as gentlemen, we don't really want to see guys get their bollocks shot off. It's not something we want to think about, is it? But yeah, it's pretty. It's it's well done to your point. And yeah, then the yeah the violence just ensues. Obviously, the um the Rachel and, and Mundy go down and and kind of lock themselves downstairs. Mm. But then they they come back up because McCready set the station on fire. Yeah. And and yeah, that's when the violence as you say so uh, Mundy's death is pretty bad she tries to jump out a window that Caesar has, has smashed with a chair but slips on the chair in front and lodges her neck on the broken glass yeah. and then McCready yeah, that's pretty, jams down with a shot pretty grim as well isn't it <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's horrible yeah. to see. Yeah. But then the the one you just alluded to is well, Caesar getting his face jammed into the the buffer <laughs> machine for your shoes, and that's what I liked about this film as well. That there was a lot of Chekhov's gun at the beginning, mm-hmm. the the foreshadowing, because you saw Rachel using the yeah yeah um, the shoe buffer, the shoe polish machine, and then of course the battering ram, which comes into play again later on. You know, you, they they mentioned that earlier, and you see that. Yeah, I thought there was quite a, a good. I, I'd like the use of that. But yeah, I mean, Caesar, horrible getting his head rammed into the shoe polish machine, comes back with a Glasgow smile, does, as you would yeah. say, I guess. But that's not what kills him, because then McCready does then shoot. Oh, him yeah, he does. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he does. Yeah. No, it, it, it just feels like, to your point, they're just having a good time in the last sort of 10, 15 minutes. And, you know, as much as it's, it's definitely gratuitous, 
it also it isn't taking itself too seriously at that stage you know no i think it, it, it's having fun and especially with with mccready's death which is a bit ludicrous rachel throws a can of petrol at him and he decides to shoot him yeah. rather than you know why would you step out the way just, just yeah <laughs> step out the way or duck but no he shoots it which then effectively is his um his downfall because then she smashes him in the face with a battering yeah which um thought was a nice touch yeah and then Possibly the coolest moment of the film is she comes outside the police station and Six just saunters out, yeah. lights his fag with his flaming notebook and then hands it to her. <laughs> like, that's just, how fucking cool. Yeah. How many times has he done that? I, 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 liked, I liked the way they played with that kind of mythology of the devil and stuff because he says, well, I'm just a witness to, yeah. you know, to what human beings do or I'm kind of paraphrasing a bit there, but, you know, he said, well, you know, I just, I don't cause any of this to happen. Well, I'm just a witness. People like to blame me, but I'm just a witness. The things I see would make angels weep. And they have wept. This is about you. Now you can deny me all you want, but I am the fire in your eyes. I can give you every corrupt and wicked soul who will ever walk this earth. You can have your vengeance and I will burn their souls. Because the truth is, Someone, it was actually, I thought it was quite refreshing mm. to see the devil effectively as a good guy. Mm. Like, he saved Rachel as a kid, yeah, so he's ensured that that, that guy is not going to hurt any more children. Yeah. But Jonathan Watson, Bessick's wife, she's never going to get beaten up again nope. by him. Mundy and Warnick won't be able to murder any more suspects. Mm-hmm. Sergeant McCready won't kill any other young men. Caesar won't be able to joyride and kill anyone else. Yeah. He's done a good thing, like, he's yeah. stopped all of these potential future deaths effectively so i think it was um pretty refreshing to see the devil in this life as effectively a good guy my only issue is okay he saved rachel when she was a kid and then he's been watching her all these years i guess waiting for the right time but he'd picked her out when she was a kid so does that make him a non (laughs) i thought that as well you know he's just sort of biding his time (laughs) yeah so she's old enough just just wait until you're just old enough so um so it doesn't look too creepy yeah, yeah that was a little bit did wonder that yeah other points i wanted to discuss with you yeah. um six has his notebook as we've just said mm-hmm. now obviously mccready goes through it and so does rachel but they obviously don't go through it enough because they would have noticed yeah the names that are in there mm-hmm. so Okay, it's a little bit of a plot hole there, but I thought they would have gone through it enough. When Rachel is going through it and she's checking the names that have been crossed off in his notebook, yeah. did you did you notice the aliases of these no. people that were there? So I thought, okay, so she looks up these three people and they all have an alias. So one is Acid Bath Murderer, which you're like, okay, yeah. fair enough. I can see that. Uh-huh. That's a, an alias. It's not an alias, really, is it? That's probably a nickname the press have given him, but yeah. okay, that's his alias. Uh, the, the next one Don't, is Angelo uh, Holmes, mm-hmm. which I'm like, okay, Angelo Holmes, fair enough. Um, but the third one is their alias is The Whale. <laughs> and I'm like, the fuck does The Whale do? Is he? That's, that's a shite alias for a criminal. Just goes around, like, just goes around swallowing semen, maybe. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I am the whale. <laughs> fucking shite alias. Hey, Ma- Ma- um, Mark Alman's nickname. Fucking <laughs> oh, Jesus. Two pints. Um, so, wh- at the end, when Six does say that he's, you know, he's a witness and he's he was he's there to collect their souls yeah and that's all he's there for but then we see them all turn into venom oh so, yeah that's right yeah they all get that sort of black cowl all like goes over their yeah heads, isn't it? yeah this black black symbiote comes all yeah, over them. yeah i just thought instantly just like oh is it, are they turn into venom now is that it is this going to be the sequel <laughs> they're all gonna come out as him um, as tom hardy gonna be in it but uh yeah, seven. obviously not never mind yeah, that was a bit of a strange choice, I thought. I don't think... It, and maybe it wasn't really needed. You could maybe save a few quid on that effect. Yeah. Because like, it was enough for him to... Exp- you know, he sort of explains, doesn't he? Um, and even without him explaining, just in the way he moves, what he does, etc., it's all explained in that as well. Yeah. So I wasn't sure that we really needed that that sort of effect. No, because he, you know, he, he crosses their names off the list. That's job done. And then yeah, he turns to Rachel and says, like, all I wanted was their souls, mm-hmm. but I want so much more from you. Yeah. And yeah, I don't think you really needed to even see them, not even just disappearing yeah, yeah. or vanishing. Just leave it. They're, we know that they're dead. Yeah, we know yeah. that they're, they're damned. There, but I guess yeah. it was to show some sort of thing. Yeah. But I don't know. And yeah, he effectively offers her to, to come and rule heaven and hell so, forever and ever. And so what do, you, she accepts. what do you think happens next then? With you think they go out on the road together, getting into adventures and things? Yeah. Um, I'd imagine it's a bit like. Um, Dempsey and Makepeace. <laughs> <laughs> what was the one what was the one with michael landon and his mate was it highway, highway to heaven or was, yeah highway to heaven it had the yeah. guy it had ernest Bo, ernest borgine from airwolf was in it as well yes yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. i'd imagine it's a bit like that but highway to hell <laughs> um, it's got a better soundtrack but they might they might have to call it something different and guess acdc get involved in that <laughs> highway to heaven that was right i was i was like was it highway but that was harry seeker yeah it was harry seeker um, yeah. yeah highway to heaven yeah yeah it'd probably be a bit like that i don't think it'd be like dempsey and make peace no. no it's a shame um, <laughs> it's exciting dempsey. <laughs> dempsey make peace was exciting <laughs> on a friday night glennis barber excited me yeah <laughs> it was her birthday the other day glennis barber so oh. I think she's like 71 or something. Happy birthday, Glennis. Still yeah. a fine looking woman. Yes, exactly. Yeah, so I, I don't know. I mean, what do you, I, I don't think a sequel was ever really mooted or no, planned. No, I don't but think so. Why, what, do you, what do you think they, they would do? Just They're just off together to just, to rule? I don't know. I, I just sort of, you know, just kind of going around. You know, like when, you know how like when, when the A-team used to arrive in like a small American town and there'd be some like gang of guys making life miserable for like yeah. the good honest people of the town and the a-team would come in and sort them out i just thought i fancied something like that you know like six sits in the pub with his little notebook out whilst uh pollyanna's out there fucking taking names and kicking arse and <laughs> knocking heads <laughs> yeah fucking knocking people's heads in with our nightstick and you know making people yeah. admit to their to their sins yeah, that'd be quite cool. Have you um have you ever had a complimentary skid mark on your pillow? <laughs> no. That did make me I mean that <laughs> the that has happened to somebody involved with this movie, right? That is death <laughs> right, that isn't just 
Oh, that would be funny. That's definitely drawn <laughs> from experience. That's happened. Either the writer, the director, one of the crew, one of the actors, that's definitely happened to somebody, right? <laughs> yeah, that made me laugh a lot <laughs> yeah. um, when I saw that. So it amazes me, actually, that this film actually was more well-received in the US than the UK. I can understand why. Bit, yeah, I get that. Yeah, when I... Went a bit underground in the UK, mm. but it was quite big in the US. It was quite a good film. What I like about it as well, and the director did say that he did this on purpose, is you know there's no smartphones and stuff. Like the phones they have are flip phones or old phones. Yeah. Um. I said the reason they did that, and the reason like the like Caesar is driving like a 1980s Scirocco. Yeah. Whereas um McCready has like a newer Mondeo, mm-hmm. for example. He said the reason did that is because if someone's watching this in ten years time, which well we are, yeah. Effectively, we're watching it in nine years time. You you'd have no idea when this film was made. No. Like, you don't know when it's set because yeah. there's nothing there that ties you really yeah. into where it is. Everything's a bit ambiguous in terms of time. Yeah, so, yeah. it's, yeah, I, I did like that aspect as well, you know, because I, I, I hate it when you're watching a film and it feels so dated with, with yeah. something. And I guess that's going to be a problem going forward, you know, with a lot of stuff <laughs> of, oh, he's, it's an iPhone 1 and he's got Jesus <laughs> holds this film. Well, you know, I mean, I think it depends. Like, sometimes there's. Like I watched recently, I watched the remake of um, the firm, the football hooligan, uh, the original one with uh, it's got Gary Oldman and um, mm. and uh, your man from Coronation Street who played Jim McDonald. We've got to do him, Bixie. We've got to do him today. I watched the remake and I and I, I enjoyed it, but it's of it's set in the early eighties. And mm-hmm. they lean right into the fact that it's the 80s. So you've got a great soundtrack. Mm. Everyone's dressed in sort of the fashions of the time. Even the cars, you know, you've got Volkswagen Golfs and with little soft tops and everything else. And like, it's not uh, Intersport, which is an actual, which was an actual sports shop and all that sort of stuff. That's, I'm, I can enjoy that. But then equally, I quite enjoy watching like an old film. Uh, if it's an old film that has been made in my lifetime, I'm 45. It's sort of like there's a nice little bit of nostalgia about it. Um, but hmm. I think it's quite clever to because the, the the other thing that's it's sort of served quite well by them not having smartphones and them keeping all that quite ambiguous is it just lets the plot sort of roll itself out. You know what I mean? There's no sort of taking a picture with a camera phone of the mm. the family of the murderous doctor to show everybody. You know what I mean? It's like it, it, it lets them build the tension. The thing about technology, about modern technology, is it can actually hoover quite a lot of tension out of a out of a tense film. You know? Like who is yeah. who is that guy? What's his name? Let me see if he's got a Facebook, you know what I mean? Or whatever. Let me see if he's got an Instagram account or something like that. And it, it can suck all the tension out of it in this you know so yeah i i think it's a smart thing to do but i'm i'm not, I'm not against them mm. um, i'm not against uh seeing the sort of limitations of technology or something like that in an old film you know where it's like a yeah. they've only got a landline you know so that's the only way that they can call for help because there was no, no, of no such thing as a mobile phone or whatever you know no that's fine yeah. like i say but i'm just saying that he didn't want to kind of give it a, a specific date yeah. in terms of people be able to tell which i thought was a nice yeah, it's touch, smart you know? i think it's smart i think it's the same always reminds me of lock stock yeah and two smoking barrels you never know they have got mobile phones but then they're all driving old cars yeah and, you know, it, it's so ambiguous of when that film actually is set. Yeah. I love love it. Yeah. Love stuff like that. It's, it's, I think Snatch is quite similar, isn't it? It's, you know, it, mm. it's, it's the sort of same sort of uh, kind of universe as, um, as Lockstock, you know? 
So, cool. Any other points on Let Us yeah. Pray, or is it time to put it through our awards? No, I mean, I think the only thing I would ask you is, in terms of especially a film like this, I mean, because it's not in our awards list, um, but what was your favourite kind of death or, or bit of gore? Uh, you Caesar, Caesar getting his head rammed into the shoe buffer. Like, I mean, my only yeah. my, my, my only regret is it didn't happen an, an hour earlier. Because um, <laughs> I'm not a fan of uh, Brian Vernal's performance <laughs> in this at all. But um, yeah, that was certainly the... Just because it's so ridiculously gratuitous and mm. you know I yeah I enjoyed that what about you yeah I think that was up there I I think because of the way they they built up to it almost because you have obviously him blowing Warnick's balls off and then shooting <laughs> and that's horrible yeah and then you're like right let's take it up a notch and mm. Mundy and I I think it's so clever the way they did that that he shoots the water cooler like as he's yeah. blasting towards Caesar the water spills on the chair. Monday, when she runs up and you just see her slip and bang. Yeah. And that's, it, it's horrible. And then they're like, right, okay. Those are two kind of, not not realistic deaths, but you know what I mean? They're quite gruesome. Yeah. Right, let's have, a bit of, let's have a bit of fun. Let's ram Caesar's face into the shoe <laughs> yeah. polisher. Yeah. And it's that that did remind me of kind of the thing you you'd see in like uh, Evil Dead. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. like something like that. It's it's a bit more of a ridiculous. I mean, thankfully he wasn't like an Evil Dead. You would see Caesar flailing his arms around. Yeah. But um, thankfully he wasn't doing that. No. Yeah, I think that was particularly quite good. Yeah. But it's always the it's always the worst things. Like I say the. It's always the things that you can kind of not associate with, but you can kind of feel. So like when Rachel slashes McCready's, it's it's like his Achilles or the back of his yeah, leg yeah. with the Stanley knife. That's when you're always like, oh, you fucker, because you can just feel that and yeah. oh, goes right through you. Okay. Uh, all right, then. So normally the first award would be the... Bobby the Barman Award for the best pub, but it's, there's no pub in this one. It's it's been mentioned a few times. It's very self-contained. We, do. we see a pub, but it's empty. Yeah, but and it looked, it looked like a great pub. <laughs> yeah. And a bandit. There was no one there. It looked great. Self-service. <laughs> I'd happily go there. Walk in. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, the next award then is the the you. I think you you described them recently as the patron saint of the culture swally, <laughs> the James Cosmo Award for being in everything Scottish. So who did you go for here? Um, I went with Jonathan Watson. Yeah, that's a good show. I I went with Pollyanna McIntosh just because of the run that she go that she has here, mm. like three sort of back to back Scottish productions, which get her off to the states. But yeah, w- Watson's a great show as mm. well. A few options for this next one. So the Jake McQuillan Your Tease Out Award. What did, what did you pick here? Well, what did you go for? Because I've yeah, there's a lot of options. I would say I, quite a, well, maybe about three. I think I um, I, I went with uh, with Pollyanna sticking the nut on um, on Monday yeah. just because it's fucking <laughs> just, yeah. just love it. It's great. Yeah, I I agree. I went with that. I did initially have McCready elbowing Caesar. Um, yeah. and then him puking. Yeah, but yeah. It's not so much a tease but yeah, it, it was either uh, Rachel headbutting uh, Mundy or the battering ram to the face Yeah, at the very end. You know, that's a very tease but I, I, I think it's something about a headbutt that has to... Yeah, make it qualify for DC. Yes, it's um second best headbutt we've had on the Swally, maybe. Maybe, yeah. It's it's very much in the Jake McQuillan uh, school of your tease out 
uh, somebody getting a dose of the milky. Because I re-listened to us doing um, Crime Series 1 and you said that Angela Griffiths, when she headbutts her boss, that is oh, the best yeah, yeah. you've <laughs> we've had on the swap. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was good. I've forgotten about that one. But yeah, no, I think it's it's, it's very much in the just a boys game uh, school of yeah. retribution uh, is... Uh, yeah somebody getting a severe dose of the Malky, as they say in Glasgow. Next one then, the Ewan McGregor Award for Gratuitous Nudity. There's nothing, I mean, no. I've written, nothing. I've, I've written uh, McCready's Sexy Dance, that's like the closest uh, yeah. closest thing that we, that we get. I could accept that, yeah, let's take that. Um, next then, the Francis Begbie Award for Gratuitous Swearing. There's a couple of options, but I went with the which one of you fucks called me old yeah. as McCready storms back into the police station. That, yeah. That's a good one. Uh, the one I went for is when, I can't remember who Six was talking to, but somebody says about how the town, it's a one-horse town, and Six, yeah. and Six goes, and it's a pale fucking horse. I thought that was good. I like that. Which is unusual, given that this is such a one horse town. Maybe it's a pale fucking horse. What was that? I mean, it's not really gratuitous, but I just, I like the kind of, the sort of foreboding, you know, sort of theme of the comment. Yeah. Next then, um, archetypal Scottish moment in the film. And that, my boy, is what we call a nippy sweetie. <laughs> yes, that's a great one. Um, that's a really good one. I, I went with the, and the reason I went with this is because it really made me think of a certain place. But the the sort of the the, the angry seas at the beginning, uh, where we first yeah. where we see sex coming up and stuff, it reminds me of there's an area outside Peterhead called um, Bueller's of Bucking, and it's a sort of uh, mm-hmm. inlet, I guess, into the cliff, and it's just all the time. Just because I think because of the way the water kind of pours into it, it's sort of like that, you know, sort of massive waves and just looks really dangerous mm. and forbidden it just reminded me of that so that's why i went yeah, for nice. that and then last then the sean connery award who who won the film for you oh who did you go for for this one then i mean i i gave it a, a sort of a kind of two-hander to pollyanna mcintosh and liam cunningham i found it very difficult to choose between the two of them i thought they were both really good what about you yeah i was exactly i was the same i i, I gave it to liam cunningham yeah um but i think it's a shame to not include pollyanna in that because she she's brilliant in this as well yeah she's and the two fantastic. of them work so well together so yeah you're right yeah. I, i'll happily give it to both of them yeah cool all right well no i enjoyed it wonderful uh, well, yeah i would definitely uh if you, ha- if you if you haven't seen it we've ruined it for you now um but when we put the post up on instagram i'll try and compel as many potential listeners to watch the film before listening to the pod yeah i thought it was a good fun 90 minutes mm. yeah you have to wonder in terms of because i i looked at it and thought this is either going to be good or it's going to be fucking terrible. But yeah. I, you know, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was just the right kind of tone yeah. um, for me. So, you know, thoroughly yeah, enjoyed it. Yeah, it was good. Okay. Cool. Well, that was my choice and that concludes our Swally Spooktacular, Greg. So it's your choice on the next episode of the Swally. So why don't you tell us what we're going to be looking at on the next episode? Well, I've gone for a real classic uh, of, from Scottish theatre um, I've gone for the first part of the celebrated Scottish playwright John Burns Slab Boys trilogy which is called The Slab Boys there's a few different versions of it out there um, you can find quite a lot of them on YouTube I've already sent you the one that we'll watch for the review but I've not seen it for mm-hmm. years and years and years and years and I'm really looking forward to watching it again 
So that's what we'll be talking about on the next episode. Wonderful. Fantastic. I don't I don't know if I've ever seen it, to be honest. Mm. You're in for a treat. I think I have. In for a yeah, treat. I think it's always escaped me. Yeah. And I'll look forward to that. Wonderful. Right. The Slab Boys look forward to watching that on the next episode of The Swally. Well, thank you very much for listening, everyone. Hope you enjoyed the show. Hey, why don't you get in touch with us? You can drop us an email on cultureswally at gmail.com if you want to get in touch with any news stories you've seen you'd like us to cover, or if you have any requests that you'd like us to uh, cover anything Scottish at all or just drop us a line to say hello uh you can follow us on the socials we're on instagram at culture swally pod and we are on x formerly known as twitter at swally pod and we have a wonderful website as well don't we greg yep you can find us uh on the culture swally.com uh, there's links to all our socials uh, articles about scottish media uh so come and have a wee look check us out fantastic right well wonderful to catch up with you again Greg it was anything else exciting today yeah well not exciting uh, but I'm being dra- I'm being dragged out to see Dizzy Rascal uh, this evening it doesn't look- I was hoping it may get cancelled um, because we're in Dubai and obviously there's a lot of uh, horrible stuff going on in the Middle East at the moment so I thought they might cancel it uh, just out of sympathy for what's going on there but unfortunately not so I'll be going bonkers in about four hours from now <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. Well, I hope you have a lovely time and don't be the boy in the corner. <laughs> Till next time, Greg. Till next time. Can I get a smoke before lockdown? No smoking. You're joking. Your room, sir. Enjoy the complimentary skid mark on the pillow.